You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Rated PG-13. <laughs> Welcome back to another episode of Legends Live, as presented by the National Basketball Retired Players Association, the home of all our NBA and WNBA legends. I'd like to remind all our viewers that you can submit your questions during the show, and we will get to those right before we wrap up. Without any further ado, I'd like to bring in today's guest. We have got former Oklahoma State Cowboy, former Seattle Supersonic, dunk contest champion. We've got Desmond Mason with us. What's up, man? How are you doing? I'm good, Desmond. How are you, man? Thank you I'm for joining good, us. Man, staying busy. Staying I busy. I was going to say, like that art behind is that what's keeping you busy now That's during it. quarantine and all this. Yeah, it's been keeping me busy since. Uh, let me see. Oh, man, I was born in '77. That's what '88. <laughs> okay, keep me busy since I was since '88. But no, I've been doing uh, painting, doing shows since I was 11. So this is what uh, this was kind of my behind the scenes scenario when I was playing uh, 82 games a year right. for 10 years. Yeah. So what's your, I guess your art process look like like what you're creating in the back? Like, is that something for you? Is that a commission piece? Is that you messing around? Like what, uh, what do you got going now, on now? This, this is a commission. This is a client of mine in uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma. Okay. Um, I live in Oklahoma city. So this is a client of mine in Tulsa, but we keep a, a house and a studio out in Cabo San Lucas, Mexico. Hmm. And uh, and I've been blessed and fortunate to participate in Miami Basel um, shows in and out of the country. I've been have had shows in all of Asia, uh, Japan, China, Vietnam, um, Singapore, uh, also Italy, a lot of other countries outside of the United States, the Bahamas and, and Mexico as well. So hmm. this is uh, this is my it was my life during basketball, but it's 100 percent my life after basketball. Uh, you mentioned a lot of countries that what country I won't say surprised you, but what was a country you got to and you really enjoyed like their art or their some of their art, like either like throughout the city, graffiti, whatever they had in the like, whatever. You know, I I, I knew about it because I, I did four years of art history. I did color theory. And mm. um, basically I was um, prior to basketball. I was I wasn't on anybody's radar until my senior year in college. Um, but prior to basketball, I was actually studying to be an art teacher. Okay. And uh, so I was taking art history and, and learning about culture of art, the, the lineage of art and, and areas of without, without our world from an art standpoint. And I would say Spain. Um, okay. I'm a huge, uh, Pablo Picasso is my favorite artist of all time. Uh, and going to Malaga, Spain, where he was born and seeing the house that he lived in um, and seeing Guernica and some of the other uh, pieces, was it was pretty interesting to me for sure so when you come back from a trip like that like does that go into your your pieces like your next piece you you feel like you come back you paint something and you look back and it's like oh yeah i just got back from spain on that like i can i can see it yeah you can you can tell when i've either watched film or um i've i've read or i've you know i've uh, i've traveled you can tell kind of my art starts to slowly shift and you know, it's a huge debate in the art world because mm -hmm. you want to find your own way. 
um, and kind of come up with your own thing. But right. my, my grandmother used to always say there's nothing new under the sun. And uh, and it's no different for me in basketball. I grew up watching Michael Jordan. Um, I'm a Texas kid, so I remember you know guys like Brad Davis and Roe Blackman and, okay. and Mark Aguirre, those guys. And so you kind of start to pattern your game after. Like so, just because you got your tongue out and you're wearing big shorts and right. you're wearing your armband up halfway up your arm doesn't mean you're a copycat. But in the right. world of art, you're copying. And so for me, it was always considered um using people that i i valued their styles um so picasso was definitely one jackson pollock mm-hmm. another one jean-michel basquiat mm-hmm. like these guys were were um i kind of mimicked you know things for a while until i found my own way so do you like as an artist do you have like other people's art around your house or is it like now nah, only only me is on my wall ain't nobody going on my wall but me nah my, my wife knows this and i've always been this way you know, I'll have like I'll normally like make something for my kids, um, okay. Because I want to know that their dad did something for them, mm. like it was from my heart. Um, and then in our house, there's always maybe one, maybe two pieces throughout the house that's a piece that that's mine. But outside of that, I mean, I've collected. I, I have, um, you know, I say this is zero, you know, arrogance because I just love this. It's like collecting players' jerseys. I've done that mm. in my career right. because that's respect. Like, right. To ask a guy to sign a jersey is a sign of respect Definitely. when you're playing the way we played. Um, but for me to pull out, go out of my pocket and buy an artist when I can paint something that's similar, it's a sign of respect. And so I, you know, I've, I own five Basquiat's. Um, you know, I've collected uh, Rembrandt, mm-hmm. uh, Salvador Dali, um, multiple artists throughout the world in my travels, uh, uh, Chagall, Moreau. Peter Max. And so this is, um, you know, some guys' vices or jewelry or cars or homes or whatever, whatever is your thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it was always my first Picasso. I was in, in L.A. playing the Lakers and we got beat. I was in Seattle mm-hmm. and I bought a, a Picasso uh, reproduction that was an aftermark touched and then signed by Picasso. Oh, wow. And I flew on a plane with it on my lap. <laughs> so I was with Gary Payton. You know, I flew, so I was playing with Gary Payton and uh, Patrick Ewing, Vin Baker, those guys. And like I had this painting on my lap all the way back to Seattle. And so that that was like that's who I was when I played. Did they? Uh, I just know I've talked to GP a couple times. Did they give you a hard time? I just know how he is. So were, yeah, they, were they on your he, head about it? Or was just, geez, it was all love. Another, yeah, G's another breed, man. Like I'm, <laughs> like. Trust me when I say this. I've done, I've had a radio show. I've done radio shows. I've talked. I can tell more stories about G and I, like the respect between us and how yeah. it all started and how it became a um, a mutual respect, even to this day. Like I can text G. He texts me back immediately. And I took his sons to their first, like when I lived in Seattle, he was out with the homies and his wife was busy at the time. And I took little G and Julian to the movies okay to see spider-man like i <laughs> i drove from my house to take g kids to them just for you know because they were good kids and so right. um but they never really got after me about my art eventually a lot of my teammates but none of my teammates ever did because um, i drew my line in the sand i didn't party i didn't club they tried to get me to right and they knew i i stood my ground and I stood it hard. G knew for sure. Like he and I about got into a fight our first day. 
in practice. <laughs> what happened um, there? <laughs> and uh, and so I I um, I drew that line in the sand, and they appreciate and respect it. Most of those guys end up buying and collecting work of art. What what happened the first day of practice with with, with Jeep? What happened there? <laughs> Man, so um, it was the year after it was that the Olympic year two thousand. Okay, and if you remember. Um, him and Vince Carter grew out their little afros. Those guys grew <laughs> little afros out. And so I I get, you know, drafted as the 17th pick to Seattle. And so I'm coming into town. I'm a I'm a country kid from Oklahoma State, but I'm originally from country town in Texas. Mm. So going to Seattle was a big deal for me. Like I, I it was weird. Right. I had worked out for more teams than anybody in my draft class. Um, I wasn't on a draft board. My agent called Stern, told him we didn't get invited to the green room. And he goes, yeah, your guy's not going that high. I don't even know why you're asking. And so eventually I get drafted and like Quentin Richardson still in the green room. And like, so I got drafted and there was still guys in the green room. Speedy Claxton was still in the mm-hmm. green room. And so, but I sat at home in Texas, didn't get a chance to put on my hat. I ate barbecue with my family, but it was perfect. It was a perfect. I was gonna say that sounds like a win, though. If you get the it was barbecue, a yeah. You know, you always want to have that photo, but for sure. But I did it with my family, and that was good. And so I get to Seattle, and uh, I'm staying in the hotel that's right next to the practice facility. And uh, I remember Paul Westfall was a coach, and G comes at the first practice, and so I'm meeting everybody because I've never met him nor his. You know, I knew him. And I was a right. huge fan of Gary Payton and the Sonics, actually, randomly. And so I never met him. So he's in the hot tub like normally for every, I mean, all the years we played together, standing in the middle of the hot tub, eating the egg McMuffin <laughs> and drinking uh, from McDonald's and drinking the orange juice, just wasting crumbs all in the hot tub. <laughs> okay. Like typical GP. Um, and I mean, every day, this was every morning. And so he wasn't practicing because of the Olympics. So he had his sweats on, sweatsuit. So we come out and I show up last minute because my parents flew in. I didn't know Seattle. I had to drive all the way to SeaTac, get my parents, drive back, drop them at the hotel, then go to practice. I wasn't late to practice, but I was like the second to the last guy to practice, but I'm a rookie. Yeah. So he comes out and he, who, by the way, he's not practicing. He's just in sweats and flip flops because he did all summer. Mm-hmm. And he goes, we're not having this. We got people that just feel like they could show up. They ain't done nothing in the league. And so I'm like, Really, like you, we just we just talked to each other, and you didn't say that to me, but then you say it in front of everybody. Right. So it wasn't an hour or so into practice where he goes and puts on his shoes and his sweats, decide he's gonna come out and show us, <laughs> teach you a lesson. Done. Yeah. He he wants to guard me. He gets physical. He calls me a couple of bad words. <laughs> Like he does, yeah. Mentally, I'm out of practice now, so I walk up. I, I just slam the ball down, and I'm like, yeah, practice over. And I started walking toward him. Mm. Vin Baker tries to stop me. Nate McMillan is yelling in the background. He's an assistant, him and Dwayne Casey. And they're okay. like, nah, let him go. Let him roll. <laughs> so I'm walking toward G, G backpedaling, <laughs> and they finally break us up. And so I'm a little like, I let my emotions, I don't let my emotions get the best of me, but I did that time because he was foul. And I yeah. go in and I'm sitting in the locker room with my head down and I'm like, man, I can't believe I did this. And he, I see his shoes walk up. And so I'm sitting. So I pop up real fast. I'm like, you ain't finna snub me. Real right. Quick. Yeah. I, I ain't catch me slipping. And, and he looks at me and he goes, I'm bigger. And he goes, 
you going to fight me today? And I go, absolutely. And he goes, I like that. We cool. And that was it. Yeah, and that was, y'all was good after we, we, that. Ever since that day, we've been, I mean, Paul, went, like whenever something went wrong on the court, they came to me to talk to G. Mm. Because G respected me. When we both got traded in that Ray Allen trade, mm. I went to his house because he was just devastated. Even as big as he was, he was the he was he was Seattle. Yeah, and he was devastated with the Howard Schultz, and I was devastated because Howard met me the night before and told me that I was the future. Me and Rashard were the future of the team, and I was traded less than twenty four hours. Wow. And so, but I went to G's house, and uh, and and even his wife at the time, and and the kids I still talk to, mm. we became really cool after that. So you said you were a fan of it. We got to get basketball back to Seattle at some point, right? Like they deserve, yeah. they deserve to have a team, right? Yeah, you know, you know, the, 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 you know, it's Seattle was for a long time bittersweet to me because the Ackerley family drafted me. They owned the team before Howard Schultz okay. uh, in Starbucks, and Howard Schultz, like I said, that that my time there has so many webs and stories of just greatness. And then for me personally, some things that really hurt my feelings um, and, and hit me to what the NBA is all about. And after that time, because I'm a very trusted person, um, until. Right. And after that time, I got, I got pretty cold when it, as it pertains to the NBA and how to deal with trades and things. And understanding it is a business, but Michael Jordan mentored me for two years and he said, Desmond, the one thing I want to tell you is it's not um, somebody didn't want you. It's somebody wanted you more. Hmm. And he said, that's the way you have to look at it. Like, hmm. Perspective. I, he said, and he told me, he's like, I've never dealt with that. I mean, and I mean, we, even to this day, Mike, like we see each other. It's, we pick up chat. Right. I ain't have a long time with him. I was in the DC days with Mike, wizard mm -hmm. days. But we, my, after my first game, he had the ball kid have me come to the training room and he talked. He's like, I like how you play. I like your game. Wow. And he said, here's my number. We had two way pages back then. So, <laughs> so you beeped him. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, so here's my number. Uh -huh. You need anything. He's like, I'm going to watch your games and I'll call you. If I get you, I'll talk to you. If I don't, I'll leave you a message. And he used to leave me messages all the time. He would watch my games and then say, I need, you should do this. You should do that. Um, but I say all that to say that it was a uh, it was a different it was just a different time back then, and he was a, a huge mentor of mine through that process. But Gary is after that Ray Allen trade, and and with Gary now we became close. Mm. Um, the league is it's a it was it was just different back then. It was yeah. a much different situation. What do you think is the biggest change that you see just from from back then to the league and how it? I mean, just how it operates, what's going on in general? You know, it's a business. Yeah. Which is which is fine. I mean, you honestly, it was a business when I came in. Right. You know, even guys like Gary were saying, "Oh, it's a business," but you know, it's like um, your parents telling you something, and you don't really—it doesn't regulate until you have to be a parent. Right. And then it makes sense. And so, Definitely. or oh, it's so much tougher when we play. And then I get here and I'm watching the game today, and I'm like, oh, it was so much physical, more, more physical when we played. Right. And so I say the biggest difference is. Um, players have, um, one, I don't want to be, I'm not that old guy cause I'm a, I'm mm. a, I'm a little bit of a hipster. Okay. Players have, they have more freedom. 
in the game. And, and I'm a realist. Like I'll say, you know what? Kevin Durant can play in any era. Right. Name it. He can play in any era. Doesn't matter. Russell Westbrook can play in any era. Yep. Like he's an anomaly. Those guys, James Harden, those guys are anomalies in the game. Um, there's certain guys in the old school game that can't play in today's era. For yeah. instance, Shaq would dominate on the offensive end of the floor, but he would be a huge liability on yeah. the defensive end of the floor because you got guys like Anthony Davis. Right. That can just they make stand a out move there and speed. Up threes, yeah. And they're they're athletic. And so that's just a realist way of thinking. But the game today is 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 different because it is absolutely a is a Fortune 500 company mm. in the big scheme of things. Like it's just it is it is one of the most dynamic, evolving companies on this planet. It may not be recognized that way because it's right. athletics, but when you want to talk about progression on a global scale, mm. we want to talk about evolution on a year-to-year basis. I don't think there's any, there's not very many companies, companies like Apple make that kind of evolution. Every year you have an iPhone. And that's how they stay, you know, on top. Yeah. That's how they stay relevant. Every year in the NBA, you have what? A new crop of players, Mm. new rules, new jerseys, new shoes, some new partnership. Like Mm. there's not companies that do what the NBA is doing right now when it comes to evolution. It's a Fortune 500 company, just not recognized that way. Right. So what did you make of, uh, like during the bubble, the NBA and WNBA players, like they got to put names on the back of their jerseys. They had the Black Lives Matter on the court. What do you think of like this era in terms of how they choose to use their voice? You know, I think the the having that creative right um, is a huge benefit for not mm-hmm. just each individual player. Um, the one thing I learned in my rookie year during my rookie seminar is, is that you are a business. Mm-hmm. It's not the league, you're not a player, you're an entity. If you do something wrong, you depreciate the value of your quote unquote entity. Desmond Mason, if I make a mistake, my value drops. If I do all the right things and I play good, my value rises. I'm a commodity, I'm an entity, I'm a business within myself. And so I see that as being a great uh, product for not only the communities you live in, the communities that support you, Mm. um, the game is global. So it's it's a global thing as well, but also that comes with a lot of responsibility. Right. And that responsibility, it revolves around knowing to utilize your voice in proper manners. And I think uh, social media ha- is a, my, I have two kids and mm. what my daughter is 15, she is a social media junkie. And I have had to talk to her about yeah. um, how to handle social media mm. because she sees a certain entertainer post something and she just copy posts it and now it becomes her view right and and i told her i'm like well is do you really feel like that 100 percent? right because you have to understand when you do that all your friends think you feel like that 100 percent. right and it's going to be attributed to you it is who you are right. right and so i think that i love the fact that players have that kind of voice um, whether it's a jersey on the name, it's really your own discretion. Right. And uh, the people that are being scrutinized for either doing it or not doing it, anybody that's doing that, I'm thinking to myself, like, you actually got a bigger problem than the next person because they yeah. chose to either speak on it or mm-hmm. not speak on it. It's not your place to judge them on right. what they decide. You actually become the bad guy. Right. 
for judging them. And so I, I love the fact that the league has given that. I think Adam Silver has always done a great job. He helped make this game global. Um, even prior to being the commissioner, when he right. was, this is a, he made this help make this game global. He's done a great job at allowing that voice for players. Now it's the players' responsibility as men and even in WNBA as women to utilize that voice uh, in a proper manner. Hmm. You mentioned uh, Adam Silver before he was the commissioner, but early in your career, you got a call from the commissioner, David Stern, yeah. at the time. What happened yeah. with that? Like, what? Do you feel like you were going to the like the principal's office? It was uh, definitely the principal's office. <laughs> it was. Um, actually, uh, he he. My agent was, um, you know, just kind of coming up, and but he was a very rep- you know guy that had worked mm. for the Rockets, played mm. in Europe, and and uh, had a great reputation as a good person. And I was his first client, so he did all his due diligence on my behalf. But I brought a different dynamic into the NBA when I was drafted, not just the fact that I busting my butt just to get mm. to the NBA. But I also was an artist and right. extremely creative and I had a different mindset. And so my agent really pushed me to push my limits. I mean, I did, I went to the Kellogg School of Business in Chicago at Northwestern when the league offered every single player, all 400 plus of us, the opportunity to go and only like 10 of us went. Mm. And I went, stayed extra. You know, the, the Yale they did it for Yale and other schools. And so um, when I went to New York for the very first time to play, my agent contacted Lee offices and, and told him that um, I was coming to town. And I wanted to talk to David Stern. And he was like, you know what? I've heard of this kid. We turned down his we turned down his green room situation <laughs> and uh, we wanted him to come in. And so I went to the offices um, in New York the day before the game. Uh, I talked to him. Uh, he ended up buying a painting of mine, a drawing of mine. I did a hyper-realist drawing of mine of um, Al Pacino and the movie is Carlito's Way, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Um, I don't think it <laughs> that's was. That's what yeah, Stern wanted up on the wall? It was, uh, Huh? You said that's what that's what David Stern bought, the, you know, the Carlito's he Way? He, he, he just liked that because it was a very detailed drawing of, of it was, I mean, it was really, I did a good job in my personal opinion at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and you evolve and you get better and you go, ah, that was just okay. But um, for me at the time, it, I thought it was great. And he wanted that Al Pacino, Carlito's way when he's shooting pool off the top of the two stack. Uh, I think it was Carlito's way. I don't think it was Don, maybe Donnie Brasco, uh, one of those movies. Mm. But he had the two stack cue and he put this ball on it and he hits it off. And that was the piece that he ended up getting for his office. Wow. Yeah. So that was my that was my David Stern introduction. Okay, so when did you realize that it, you weren't in trouble? Or did you still um, always feel like you were in trouble? You know, I, honestly, once I got in, not a ton of guys went to the offices in New mm-hmm. York. And, um, you know, I, I would have to say that I felt like I was always pretty proactive and making mm-hmm. sure that I just brand build and network. Um, you know, when you're around people of business, I was a sponge. And so if someone told me, to do, and I'm a great, I, I was a student of the game. So if, if my coach tell me to do something, I'm going to probably do it to a T until he comes to me and goes, okay, yeah, I get it. You've done that. But like you had this opportunity. I'm like, okay, well, you give me flexibility. So now I go and adjust my situation. Well, that was me in the world of business as well. I utilized those opportunities. Um, and if someone who was better in business told me to do something, I followed that pretty much to a T until I realized I had some flexibility. And so once I got into the offices and realized that, I didn't have to be so stiff. 
I can be a little flex. Right. Then I realized that it was going to be a good conversation and he was feeling me out to see, you know, what I had going and right. who I was. And so I, it was, uh, to me, I, again, that was my biggest interaction with, with, uh, commissioner Stern. After that, I was playing. Like, I mean, mm. from that time I was in and out flying and right. that distance was stretched until we like had to run into each other. And then we would speak. Gotcha. Got a couple questions in the chat. Before we get to that, I do want to ask you, since you were uh, the dunk contest champion, do you have a favorite dunk of yours? It could be in middle school. It could be one you did in practice. It could be in an NBA. Just one you were like, oh, wow. Like, yeah, no, I I did that one. Uh, I'll, I'll quickly say two. One, my okay. first, we had a, at Oklahoma State, we had a thing called the Eddie Sutton Bash. My coach was Eddie Sutton, mm. passed away. Um, and... Um, great documentary by those guys and so my first game my mom it's called the eddie seven bash kind of like our midnight madness right it's a home, okay. it's a homecoming football game and then afterwards at midnight they come in and midnight the college basketball like team practice. practice gotcha and so you know you do like the three-man weave mm -hmm. so me being a rookie we had the number two recruiting class in the country that year like right in little oklahoma stillwater and so I'm I'm a wing guy, and we do the three-man weave, and they wanted me to get to a weave where I'm the last person because I'm, like, dumb athletic. Hmm. I take a dribble and turn around, very first one, and I dunk it backwards from the wing hmm. and shatters the backboard. Oh, wow. I mean, everybody on the main level just rushes the floor. Yeah, no, shattering the backboard, that, that, I mean, I feel like was, that's on everybody. It yeah. was the first dunk. My first time being in the public of the school, and it pretty much shut down the Midnight Madness from the first thirty seconds of it for the next like hour. Yeah, so it was it was I signed glass for probably two months. <laughs> like people would come to class with like it huge was a piece of glass, shard of glass, and I would sign it. And then I would say my next one was um, I won a dunk contest, and it was great. Um, it was emotional because of the plane crash to Oklahoma State. But my favorite dunk of all time in a dunk contest was Jason Richardson and I in the 2003 dunk contest. Um, I lose that by like a couple of points. And I tried this dunk over and over and over again. I made it a lot, mm. but I didn't try it in warm-ups in the back. And so I came out and I took, basically got the ball to the three-point line. I took two dribbles and I jumped up off of two feet. I saw Vince do it with Tracy throwing it up on Kobe East Bay. Mm. I jumped off two feet and took it between my legs and lefty made it. And I was like, there's no way I'm not winning this. And that Jason was the, uh, the Kenny Smith it. said you Jason had the Richardson. blue. Kenny Smith screwed me. He knows. Yeah, he gave me. you the nine, right? Everybody Kenny gave Smith, you. He, he gave me my points. I win. Call he's him out. Hater. No, let, let him know. Let him he's know. He know he a hater. I, don't, I, I told him he a hater. I told Kenny Smith, I'm like, I know when I lost, when you came in the locker room and said, I got Jason Richardson. Nah, yeah. I knew I lost. I told him that. So my agent and him are good friends. And I saw him and I said, Kenny, I ate dinner with him. It's been a while back. And it was after I retired. And I go, you got me, man. You cost me one. I still got an open spot in my office right now. You cost me one. You just gotta leave the spot open just to just to remind you. I'm gonna have my son, my son, maybe he get one and he can give me give me his. Hey, there you go. <laughs> give me a replica. <laughs> Adam, I need a replica. Let's say we gotta get you one. Uh 
Do you have a dunk that you saw somebody else do that was like, oh man, I wish I could, I wish I thought of that? Uh, I was like, I wish I would have them. Helicopter. Mm. He did seven from Cincinnati. The first yeah, time I saw the him, uh, street ball cat. Hey, he did a seven twenty. I was like, I felt like I could have did it. It would have took a lot of time because it's all right. about timing. It's not about how high you jump. It's about timing. And mm. I said to myself, if I could have ever, there's no one to ever do a seven twenty in the game. I mean, in the uh, in the dunk contest. Mm. And I see these kids now doing dunks. And I'm like, man, these guys are creative. Right. I mean, I'm talking about not NBA guys. Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Social media guys. They're doing and, wild stuff. I mean, I haven't. These guys are unbelievable. And uh, so I said, if if I would have ever um, thought about that creatively, I could have easily got myself to do a 720 because I could move that quick. Right. It's just about timing. I thought that was one of when I first saw it. I'm like, that's amazing. Hmm. He's like, I, that, I, I wish I would have did that. Down, one. I'm like, listen, the NBA is that's my family. And when it comes to dunk contests, I hope one day they put NBA against some of these street cats. Okay. How would you uh how would you change the dunk contest? You would open it up? Like what, what's another change you would make? I think so. I think I think what happens in the NBA is um a lot of people play, put it on money right. and it's not enough money. Um I get it, runs a risk, a guy lands wrong, mm-hmm. you lose a knee or you know, knock on wood. Um, but and I get that. I understand mm-hmm. that risk, but you got to think about it. Arguably, Michael Jordan is the best player to ever play the game of basketball. Um, in my opinion, he's my best. Mm-hmm. Uh, but those guys, it was good enough for them. Right. It was good enough for Dominique, Dr. J, yeah. you know, some of these guys that, that did it, Clyde. And, like, it was good enough for some of the 50 greatest to ever play the game of basketball, 10 greatest to ever play. Mm-hmm. It's good enough for guys today. You just have to commit. And I think if some of the guys in the forefront would take that step, everybody else will follow suit. Mm. I understand the risk that comes with that, but that same risk happens every single day when you play. Right. You're protected under insurance, even in a dunk contest. Yeah. Right? I mean, it doesn't matter if that's the case, but as a fan, if I'm a fan, I'm taking my kids to an NBA All-Star game and I'm going to a dunk contest, which is I choose personally a dunk contest over the All-Star game because it's just what I did right. personally. I want to see the best. Mm. I want to see Gerald Green blowing out cupcakes. Like, that's just, that's who I am. And so right. um, it's unfortunate to see it, but I think um, to change that, you know, it, it's, it's, it's not money. It's kind of in the player and it's gotta be some of the bigger guys. I was gonna say, yeah, I think it would, like you said, it might only take one, like the right guy, the right bigger guy to do it. And everybody, put that, press, everybody put that pressure on LeBron. Yeah. And I say this about LeBron. LeBron can jump out of the gym. That doesn't make him a good dunk contest dunker. Yeah, I agree. But he can influence guys to come and want to beat him. Right. Um, because I, I think there's guys that are from a dunking, you know, the finesse standpoint that are better in yeah. the NBA. But I do think that when the league offer, like they used to offer us the opportunity. Mm. And I was like, oh my God, the league pick me right now it's dudes going like i'll let you know if i can do it or not <laughs> yeah yeah so i think that's the difference but i honestly think that if we can get let's just say we get two really good dunkers in and if a league can add in two of these really good street mm. ball dunkers like with youtube videos the dynamic or of the mm. competition now that doesn't mean they're nba players it mm. just means that they are just as athletic and it's going to be really fun to watch. 
Definitely. And I, you talk about some guys that would definitely be going harder for their money. Uh, or embarrassment. I was gonna say, I feel like for the non NBA guys, they're going for the money, but the NBA guys, yeah, it's the pride. It's like you let that guy uh, beat you in the dunk. He's not even in the, you know what I'm saying? You let a yeah, and that's YouTube the way they look guy. At it. That's the way they look at it. So for me, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this when I came at it was if you if you could participate, it was twenty five thousand, hmm. and if you won, you got an extra fifty, and then my shoe deal had all kind of incentives and uh, everything uh-huh. else, and so like it was that weekend was a hundred thousand dollar weekend for me. Well, actually, $100,000, like, seven dunks yeah. for me. And so with the guys that are streetball dunkers, like, if you at, if you offer them an opportunity to win $25,000, they're bringing it. Absolutely. They're bringing it. And if you're in the NBA, you might get embarrassed if you don't bring it. So it's a pride thing. Yeah. And so I would love to see, like, you know, these guys, the, the NBA guys, they got pride. Players got pride. They don't mm-hmm. want to lose. And so you got these other guys that are trying to make that money. I think that makes great competition. Yeah, I, I, we got to get you in charge, man. That's something I would, <laughs> I, I, I would like to see that. I, and, I, I'm, and I'll say this. I'll say this. I, I've always said this because I dealt with the wheel. When you had to mm-hmm. spin the wheel and dunk other dunks. And, you know, I think you get dunkers that I love the fact that you have legends. Right. I, absolutely. Like, I remember watching videos of me shaking Dr. J's hand and Michael Jordan's hand, mm-hmm. Dominique. After I dunked and I tell my kids, I'm like, I'm part of that group of guys forever. No, but I think there's now it's, we have a new generation Mm. that are unbiased, right? We got Dwayne Wade in, he got scrutinized for his pick, so on and so forth. Mm. But there's still another group of unbiased guys. Joe Green is one of the best dunkers of all time. In my opinion, that dude is off the hook. Yeah. Vince Carter, obviously arguably the greatest dunker of all time with his athleticism. I think there's a group of guys, Jason Richardson mm-hmm. as well. Um, I think there's a group of guys to put in that, that list of judges that the bias is going to slowly start to slide away because it's not about what you did. It's about, Oh, that's super sick. Right. Like I'm new, only judging new, new what's in front of me. Yeah. New, new era. And Got I think you. that's, that's kind of, I'm hoping that's the next generation of dunk contest. Got you. Let me check in with Bridget here. I think we got a couple of questions here. Yeah. Okay, Keith Claus checking in. Uh, what up? Just saying, hey, the D mate. What's up, Keith? Who else we got here? We've got Will says, uh, yes. "Oh, the old Desmond Mason, the red uh, Seattle SuperSonics jersey is a classic." I got, it, I got it hanging right now at the crib. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely, it's a classic. See, Mole Man says Desmond was my dude in NBA <laughs> Live 2005. Yeah, no. Anything in the paint, if you just hit the jump button, you hit the turbo jump button, that's a dunk. Automatic. <laughs> Automatic dunk. Doesn't matter who's in the way. Let's see. Hawkman says, talking about being around Gary and Mike, were there any players you were starstruck by? Uh, it was Michael Jordan the first time. Mm. Um, the first that, time I played I mean, definitely. him, Nate McMillan told me to don't talk to him. He's going to like talk to you and befriend you and you look up and you have 40. Right. So he kept, to ask me, he kept on asking me questions and I would ignore him. And then I remember I fouled him one time and he walked to the free throw line. And I saw the back of his jersey over the top of the key. And I'm like, man, I'm playing against Michael Jordan right now. Yeah. That was my, that was, that was the only, that was the first and the only time. Like you're, you're welcome. Like I'm really here a moment. This is a real deal. Yeah. This is the real deal. Let's see what else we got. Let's see. So who are some celebrities who have purchased your paintings over the years? 
Um, George Clooney. Okay. Um, Cindy Crawford. Uh, Hank Haney, Tigers golf coach. Um, my teammate, TJ Ford, Joe Smith, um, Howard Schultz, hmm. uh, Starbucks, um, the Sanchez Navarro family, which is Corona, Pacifico, those guys. Okay. Um, there's a, a they, Commissioner Stern. Um, but, uh, oh, Ad, Adam Levine as well, Mike Phelps, uh, Dustin Johnson. Okay. You got a, quite the quite the personnel there. Yeah. No, it's all good. It's, I mean, but, you know, it's, it's a lot of my commissions that we sit down and we kind of do these projects together. Um, but my first big one was um, the group. It was a group uh, and it was, it was, they were part of all Cindy Crawford, Randy Gerber, her husband, um, George Clooney, and a guy named Mike Melman. They had founded a company called Casamigos. And, um, and they all end up getting a piece uh, of mine. Gotcha. Yeah. Let's see. Anything? What else we got, Bridget? Good one from Nick here. Says, who is your favorite non-superstar teammate? Non-super. Mo Williams. Okay. Why Mo? Um, you know, I, 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 would, I would say Michael Red, but he won a gold medal. So Mike is my all. <laughs> he's Mike he's disqualified. Yeah, but Mo Williams, I, he was a rookie in Milwaukee when he came. Well, he was a second-year guy, I'm sorry, in Milwaukee when he came from that trade from Utah. Mm. And I mentored Mo, and we just we got real close. I mean, we're still close today. We still mm. talk all the time. I'll probably put second in line is Joe Smith um, okay. from Maryland. Joe and I would hang out. Joe was a rapper. He loved the rap, mm. and he would – we go to New York and he'd go to the studio. He knew people that would get in the studio with Jay-Z. And then we would go to, you know, play in New Orleans and we'd be in the studio with Wayne. Wow. And so Joe and I would literally get done with a game, you know, sit next to each other. We'd get headphones before white Bluetooth and headphone <laughs> to headphone and listen to be a beat that his buddy put together. And we would write songs and we started recording CDs. Okay. And so I start from Joe got me. I love to write music, but I never did it. In, but Joe got me writing music, and from that point, I still to this day I just constantly write. So who, who's a better rapper, you or Joe? Uh, today. Today. Oh, I'm I'm better. You got okay. <laughs> Back in the day, he had you though. Yeah, because I you know <laughs> Joe was into it at the time. You know, and I hadn't heard anything from Joe lately, but um, I'm just gonna assume when I listen to my work now as mm. opposed to then. Like I am, I'm a, I'm, I'm up there. Right. Damian, Damian Lillard is the best NBA rapper of all time. Of all Today. time. Wow. Okay. Who else gonna beat him? I guess Shaq. Shaq I was say. I mean, yeah, Shaq got to be up there. Lyrically, uh, lyrically Damian Lillard is unbelievable. I was saying, no. Um, Bagley is another one. Marvin Bagley is pretty good. Uh, he better come on with it, man. Damian. No, Dame, I, listen, yeah. I, the only reason I found out about Bagley was when Dame went at him, and I was like, "Hey, Bagley's not bad, but Dame's I, better." I yeah, I agree with that. I like I listened to those guys. And I'm like, I remember Shaq tried to come at Dame, and yeah, that was over. Yeah, and then I that. saw the Bagley situation, and Dame is. I mean, he's doing it for real. Like he, he's he's playing it like he's doing music, like he's doing sports. Right. And I, I I like that about him. That dude is fearless, man. Mm. I love it. Another from JTR. JTR says, who are some artists you think are on the rise? 
Um, artists on the rise now. They're actually, they've been on the rise, but uh, I'm going to go Alec Monopoly. Okay. Um, Alec is, is huge on a global scale. Um, I'm a big fan of a guy. He's a, he's actually, he's very, very big in the world of art, but this guy named Retina. He's okay. out of LA. Um, but Retina is, I don't need to look him up if you don't know who he is. Dude is unbelievable. Um, other artists, um, I mean, everybody knows who Mr. Brainwash is. He did the Rick Ross cover. Mm. Um, you know, another artist that's in, not just in, in the world of art, but in the world of music as well, that's a very good visual artist is Chris Brown. Um, okay. I did not think he could paint the way he paints. I really? thought it was some other stuff going on. I thought it was somebody <laughs> doing it and it was really, but I really? watched, I mean, the guy can go, which he's a, he's a muralist. Okay. And um, it was pretty shocking to see that he is actually that good um, from a painting standpoint. So really? um, those are, uh, and then this is my brother, man. I have to say out of Philly, um, King Saladin okay. is, is uh, what he's doing now with Bear Season and he's done stuff for all kinds of celebrities. That guy is unbelievable. Okay. Let's see. Got, oh, that was, actually, I take that back. We do have one more. We're getting a, a song or two from all our legends. Just some, what are you listening to now? It can be old school, <laughs> new school. We're just trying to put something together, get a song or two from everybody. So what, Man, you know, what's in I, Desmond I, Mason's, uh, his headphones? Um, a, a song I just listened to in mine was my grandmother. I got a gift from a friend and it was actually a Bluetooth old recorder, but it was Bluetooth. <clears throat> and I grew up listening to his music, and so um, "Thrill Is Gone" by BB King. Oh, never okay. heard it. If you never heard it, man, it's just one of those soulful blues Classics. songs. Yeah, um, that's a classic. And then I'm gonna ramp it up to the day. And um, man, if you put anything right now for me, I'm a I'm a little baby fan. Okay. <laughs> like I mean, I just I don't know what it is, man. He just he got. He's good. Yeah, baby. he's really good. It's raw. It's South. I'm a South kid. It's South. But um, he's 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 really putting thought into it. Mm. And I, I like the fact that he did uh, um, his thing around the, the Black Lives Matter movement. Mm. That piece was incredible. Yeah. And so I, my kids have listened to it and I don't let my kids listen to curse words. So we got all kinds of edited versions of it. But <laughs> I love the fact I took my daughter to his concert when she was 13. Mm. Um, he is he didn't win an award. We this has been a big thing now. He didn't win a BET award. Mm. Um, but I say this: that that kid is <clears throat> as talented as they get in music. You may not like his voice or southern music in general, but um, he puts in the work for real. Definitely. So we got okay. We got BB King and and a uh, little baby. Lil I, 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 I love getting two different ends of the spectrum. Uh, when I listen to give I listen to Andrea Bocelli. Okay. I listen to I listen to Garth Brooks and 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 George Strait is a good friend and so bro I listen to everything from you know Bocelli everything in between until I get to Little Baby. <laughs> That's how it should be. Yeah, no doubt. <laughs> All right, Desmond Mason, that'll do it for this Legends Live. Thank you so much for joining us, man. No, man, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it, man. The NBA has been, uh, I mean, it's been so good to me in my life and and my career. Change the lineage. And the progression of not just my own life, but mm. um, the future for my family has allowed me so many doors. And so I'm, I'm always appreciative to be part of uh, anything you guys are doing. Yeah, we're thankful for you. And uh, we'll talk to you soon, Desmond. No doubt, man. Peace. See ya.
All right, that'll do it for today. Uh, as always, we've got new episodes live every Thursday around 5 p.m. Eastern. You can catch us on the NBA Alumni Twitter, the Facebook, YouTube, and Twitch page. I'd like to remind all our viewers, you can watch any replays of episodes at legendsofbasketball.com slash legends live. You can catch the audio replay to any of our conversations on Apple Podcasts or Spotify by searching for Legend Studio. That'll do it for this week. We will catch you next Thursday.